to your creator and your savior. And when you and I are reconciled to God through Christ, God gives us a mission, a mission of reconciliation. It says here, a ministry of reconciliation, verse 18, verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This is an ongoing process. Notice the reconciling, that is an ongoing process, the world to himself. Christ as the person in between who is the bridge between a sinful humanity and a holy God. God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. Trespasses is when we see God's word or see commandments and we break them. So trespassing is, um, is uh, doing things that we know is, is wrong to do. And we have um, people put up no trespassing signs. If you go on someone else's property, when their property is posted like this, you are breaking the law. So we, as a sinful humanity, trespass, break God's law, and is entrusting to us. God is entrusting to us. This is an ongoing process. Notice the ING there in entrusting. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God sends Christ to the to the earth. Everyone can see that God is a loving God who is steadfastly loving, who is patient and kind. How do we know God is patient and kind? Because he sends his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And God is not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. And God has reached out to us by sending his own son, so that we would have a way as trespassers to be in the presence of a holy God for all eternity. And he has given us believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, born again, made alive from the inside. We all have this message of reconciliation to the world. Now, verse 20. Let me finish this slide, and then we'll go on to verse 20. God is reconciling sinners to himself. And God is giving us, those who were once trespassers, now forgiven, reconciled sinners to himself. He's giving those people a message. And we're going to see today what that message is. I looked up the word ambassador on Google, and one of the top uh, hits that I got was this quote from diplomacy.state.gov. This is what our U.S. government says an is, a, is an ambassador. And we have many ambassadors to uh, many countries around the world. You can uh, go on their website and find out all the ambassadors. They live uh, usually on the host country. So if you're an ambassador to Spain, you go live in Spain, you learn Spanish, um, you have people that work with you at the embassy, and they come, and your one job here as an ambassador, you're known as the chief of mission. This is on their website. Chief of the mission. So what's the mission? Well, I'll tell you uh, after, after reading the rest of this. So you're the highest ranking diplomat to the host country, and you're the personal representative of the president. You represent the president and the country in another country. That's what an ambassador does. It's a well-paying job. 150 to $200,000 a year. You're like, yeah, yeah, 
Sounds good. But when you see that they are comparable to a CEO of a corporation, you're like, oh, that's what CEOs of corporations make as well. Uh, and they have to be a strong leader, a good manager. You have an, an assistant uh, ambassador. You have a many. You work with other, other uh, departments, uh, Homeland Security uh, and uh, trade and agriculture, other departments of the government. And you kind of oversee. And if, if anyone comes to from the United States to Spain, you would know where the, it's usually at the, um, at the capital city. Uh, there's also um, um, other places around the country uh, that if it's a larger country may have a couple different um, branches of the, of the embassy. Um, but the ambassador is to represent the people of the United States in another country, and in particular, the president himself. The president may appoint or knows uh, the, the ambassadors to all these different countries. So it's, that's helpful to know because when we see the word ambassador, we think, I, I don't know what an ambassador is, what they do, where they live. Uh, they are probably, they are, they are citizens of the U.S., but they're living in the host country. If you remember in our uh, nation's history a year ago, the U.S. Embassy in Kabul, um, Afghanistan, had to shut down. And we know that uh, we had to shut that down because it was unsafe. And I looked at the, and it still says we have an ambassador to Afghanistan, but they're not living in Afghanistan. And in fact, they give warnings. If you want to travel to Afghanistan, you're, you're going to do so in all parts of the country at a, a very high risk to yourself. So that's what a U.S. Um, Embassy and, and ambassadors do. They determine the, the level of risk. They also build relationship. And any foreign policy that goes um, from our country to other countries uh, goes through the ambassador. So notice the, the chief of mission. The chief of mission is the ambassador, or the deputy chief, the person underneath the ambassador is the deputy chief of mission. So we need to see ourselves, as this, these two verses are going to tell us, as ambassadors. Now, if you go as an ambassador to any other country, it's not like you're on vacation. You're a high-ranking official in the, in the U.S. government in order to build relations, uh, talk trade, and do what's best, make decisions, and inform our country back here of the level of risk and all the other things and... and um, and work out deals with, with the host country so that we have friendly relations, if possible. And if not possible, like Afghanistan, then you determine it's not even safe to live there, and you warn all the, nation, uh, the citizens of the U.S. don't go on tourism trips to Afghanistan. <laughs> it's not safe. Or you can, but it, you're taking your life uh, in your hands, is what the U.S. Embassy uh, and Ambassador has told us about that particular country. So we see ourselves as believers on a mission because verse 20 says, therefore, okay, so we have this ministry of reconciliation, verse 18. Verse 19 says, we are entrusted, uh, entrusting to us, God the Father entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And he's going to tell us what our message is in particular. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Oh, okay, ambassadors. We go to a host country, we're not... Citizens of that country, we're representing the country of the kingdom of God. We are strangers and pilgrims in this earth. 
It's the moment we trust Christ, we are now strangers and pilgrims on this earthly planet. No matter what country, nationality we belong to here, our real citizenship is where? We're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2 says. So we transfer our kingdom membership from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. So now we're part of the kingdom of light and God leaves us on earth and gives us a mission. And this mission is we're ambassadors to those in a hostile host country. And we gather as God's people every week as ambassadors. And we sing songs like, his robes for mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best things we can do without Christ looks like dirty, trashy garments. And I have three levels of garments in my wardrobe. One is new and worth wearing to church or out on a date with my wife. The second is eh, wearing around the house comfortable. The third has paint and grease on it. It's work attire. It is, I don't care what happens to those garments. And if necessary, I'll even use them. I actually have a fourth level. After that is rags. <laughs> I take the nicer garments that I want, and if I need rags, I cut up the, the clothes and I have, have rags so that when I spill oil or uh, need to clean up paint on the, on the ground in a painting project, I got those rags. Our righteousness is the lowest level there. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Old Testament says. But how can God use us who were once dead in trespasses and sins, who were once all of our righteousness is as filthy rags? How can he use us as ambassadors? It goes back to verses 14 and 15. The love of Christ controls us. If we conclude this, that one has died for all, then all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When we understand the great price that was paid, and we, we deserve to be dead and separated from God for all eternity in a lake of fire, and we're not going to get that because we've been forgiven. And now we're telling the world how they can be forgiven by a holy God who's provided one way of salvation. And he uses us as ambassadors. And he gives us three things here that we, are, we can say as we're representing our king on the earth. Now, you may have, as I did, without looking carefully, when you look at a passage of Scripture that refers to uh, Jesus or Christ or Lord uh, many times, there, it's intentional. If you go back to 14 to 21, what are the references to our Savior? What is, he, what is his title most often in this passage? It is Christ. Christ is his title of kingship, the anointed one, the Messiah, the promised one who is going to come, and he's going to rule as, a, as the king of the kingdom. That's what you see the word Christ there. You see it in verse 14. You see it again in verse 16. And then again in verse 17. And then again in verse 18 and 19 and 20. Okay? 
twice in 20. So all of those, we don't see the word Jesus. We don't see the, the title Jesus or the name Jesus. We don't see Lord. We have this representing of Christ. We have Christ as the king. So I'm going to take that and say, okay, so we are personal representatives of the king of kings. Where did I get king of kings from? From Christ being king here, and at the end, he, at the end of Revelation, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You're not just representing a king on earth. You're representing the king of all eternity. All other kings are nothing compared to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the one who is using us as ambassadors. So all we are doing here, an ambassador doesn't have his own agenda as he goes and lives in another country. He, all he is doing is, what is the best for my, for my, for my um, country of citizenship? He is getting paid good money to represent that country in a country that could be hostile. It could be, eh, they don't really like him, but he's there or she's there. And so we are personal representatives. As the ambassador is a personal representative of the president, we are personal representatives of the king of kings. In Sunday school last week and two weeks ago, we looked at our identity. And we can put ambassador as at the very center of who we are, our identity, in Christ. And because we are in Christ, and you see that in Christ here, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. Therefore, we are ambassadors. So we are secure in Christ. The love of Christ is controlling us. We're doing everything that pleases the Father. And the Father wants to use us as ambassadors. Now, here are three things that the rest of verses 20 and 21 tell us what to say as a representative of the king of kings. God Verse 20, second uh, phrase here, God making his appeal through us, okay? So it says we have the message early of reconciliation. Now it says God is making his appeal through us. Oh, okay. So God's using us who were once sinners. We're reconciled to God. Now he's sending us out to, as ambassadors to help people not be hostile to God, not turn their back on God and say, man, I can't believe God. God I'm going to blame God for a hurricane that hit Florida. I'm going to blame God for allowing innocent people to die. I'm going to blame God for this and this and this. All the, all the bad things that ever happened on the, the planet, God gets blamed. And we tell them, you, you don't know God. He is sovereign. But there's more to his sovereignty than just power. He is also a loving, sovereign God. And the love of Christ controls our tongue here as we speak and represent him. Even to people who are hostile, who don't want our presence there, they're still in a cubicle next to us. They're still in a house or apartment next to us. And we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, and we are ambassadors for Christ. So God's making his appeal through us, and what does he want us to say to this world while representing him? This is fascinating what verse 20 ends with. We implore you, we're begging you, on behalf of Christ, 
be reconciled to God. Or same phrase that begins verse 21, for our sake. It is, for Christ's sake. We implore you, for Christ's sake, be reconciled to God. Now, I have not used this phrase or this concept in my evangelism yet. But I want to now. So what is Paul saying here? He is saying, on the king's behalf, on Jesus Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, if you hear, you and I hear people that get angry and say, oh, and they take Jesus Christ's name in vain. And now we can, we're supposed to try to build a bridge to this person and tell them based on what Je- who Jesus is and what he has done. We want you to be reconciled to God. And they look at you and like, Jesus is part of the problem. And you say, oh no, you don't understand what Jesus has done for you. What has he done for us? He died for you. Anyone who dies for you is your friend. They're not your enemy. Enemies don't die for people they don't care about. And anyone who dies for you, no one can say, that person didn't love me. If they died for you, it's pretty clear they loved you. And we have other scripture that tells us that Christ so loved the world. And while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. On Jesus Christ's behalf, for Jesus' sake, be reconciled to God. This is the beginning of the message of God's appeal through us. Because of Jesus, be reconciled to God. So what does that beg the question if you're talking to someone who has only heard Jesus' name, Jesus Christ, as a curse word, and you say, on Jesus Christ's behalf, for his sake, be reconciled to God. What does that beg the question? A couple questions. Who is Jesus? And you have a chance to answer that. Who is Jesus? He's the sinless son of God. He is the only substitute. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through him. On Jesus Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God the Father's appeal, giving us the the words to say as we are ambassadors to a host country who who needs reconciliation to God. That's the first thing. Second, verse 21. For our sake, same language as on behalf of Christ. For our sake. So here we are reaching out to people who are trespassing against God. They've sinned against God. They may even, as we've seen in Sunday school, identify with their sin against God. And we implore them on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why should I, for Christ's sake, be reconciled to God? Well, verse 21 begins to answer that. For our sake, 
God the Father, that's the he, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin. You know what this doesn't say? Jesus was a sinner. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus was made to be sin. Other places tell us God the Father put his, his, our sin on Jesus and then poured out his wrath. And clearly at the cross, we see that happening. And God forsook his son. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This verse answers why God the Father forsook the Son. God the Father is the architect of salvation. He is the designer of the world and creation. He's also the designer of our salvation. And the Son is probably in creation speaking. And the Holy Spirit is carrying out what the, what the Father designed, what the Son says, and the Holy Spirit carries out creation. And then in salvation, God the Father chooses us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. This is God's plan from the beginning. And God the Father says, God the Son, you've got to go and rescue them. It's going to be awful for you. And the Son said, I'll go. And the Son redeems, buys us out of slavery, Ephesians 1 says. And the Holy Spirit carries out the work of redemption that the Father designed, that the Son was sent and accomplished on the cross and the empty tomb. And the Holy Spirit is the one now who is convicting the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. He is the one who is convincing people they are lost and they need to be reconciled to God. That they're sinners and they need to be, they're dead and they need to be born again. So the king, on the king's behalf, be reconciled to God is our first message. The second message is, on your behalf, the sinless king became sin. This is the horror of the cross, not the crown of thorns, not the rugged cross, not the whip, not the pulling out of the beard, not the, um, the mocking and the ridicule and him being uh, covered with his face and then hit and slapped, not the chants of the crowd, not the jeers of the people at the foot of the cross, if you are the Son of God, come down. The sinless king became sin. We get used to our sin like a child, uh, an infant gets used to a dirty diaper. And it offends everyone when a child has a dirty diaper and is in the same room. And the longer the dirty diaper stays on, the, more, the greater the offense of our nasal passages. But that child seems to care less. And if they're playing, they just keep on playing and think it's no big deal. We can get that way with our sin. Our pride, our anger, our lying, our dishonoring of our parents, our taking God's name in vain our coveting, our immorality, our lust. We can get so comfortable in that sin that we think it's no big deal. 
Why is everybody offended by my sin? And as ambassadors for the king, we're telling you, we're telling people, God, the king, is offended by your sin. And the sinless king of kings became sin for you. What's it say here? Who knew no sin. That word knew means a couple different ways of uh, looking at it, but it, it is really by experience, knowing by experience. Like if you know how to play the piano, uh, you can say that you know, but let's bring you up to the piano and actually let you play, and we'll, we'll determine whether or not you know by experience how to play the piano um, or how to drive a car or in driving a car how to parallel park. Like, okay, let's see, a, let's see a parallel park, all right? Without the technology of just let your hands off and the car does it for you. No, 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 no. Even without a backup camera, okay? If you know how to parallel park, you've done it by experience. So Jesus, by experience, doesn't even know sin. And when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, let this cup pass from me, the cup of God's wrath, that Jesus would taste sin, although he'd never committed even one sin, never even was guile or deceit found in his mouth. He knew no sin. But this is God the Father's plan, and this is our message to the world to, as ambassadors, we're telling them on, on the king's behalf, Jesus' behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, on your behalf, the sinless king became sin. And the third thing that we say is the final phrase here of verse 21. The purpose of why Jesus became sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, if Jesus just forgives our sin and doesn't give us his righteousness, we don't have any access to heaven. Because in, he in God's presence, only righteousness is allowed there. Doing what is right according to God's perfect standard. So the reason that Jesus, the sinless one, our king, became sin is so that you and I would have God's righteousness. There is no other way to get God's righteousness. Oh, people have tried. If your good works outweigh your bad works on this scale. And the Old Testament says our righteousness is as filthy rags. None of you are wearing filthy rags today. Why? Because filthy rags are in a bin in your garage with cobwebs probably on them, waiting for the next mess. We have no righteousness of our own. The best we can do is filthy rags, unfit for the king. The reason Jesus dies on, in our place, on our behalf, is so that we would have the only way to heaven. This is our message. We tell them, on Jesus' behalf, be reconciled to God. And they may look at us with the most puzzled look on their face or an angry look on their face. It just <laughs> proves that they need to be reconciled to God. But we keep telling them, as ambassadors, this is who we 
are. We're ambassadors for Christ. As ambassadors, what do we do? We speak. The ambassador for another country just goes and speaks on behalf of the president on, on his sending country. That's all he does, speak and negotiate. We are speaking on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to him. There's one way to be reconciled to God. No, I think I got this. You don't got this. No one's ever got this. You're not all set. You may think you're all set. You're not all set. Revelation 20 tells you, you're not all set. You're headed toward the lake of fire. You have to be written in the Lamb's book of life. And I'm here sent to you from God as his ambassador. And it doesn't matter if, like Acts 7, that they pick up stones and say, you're going to keep quiet one way or another. And we'll have to say, then, I'm going to tell you how great Jesus Christ is with my final breath. Because this is our mission. And many, many martyrs at the stake, at the guillotine, at the sword, at drowning, at lions, they testified as ambassadors. And we have to go to our neighbors. We have to go to our friends. They don't tell you that you can't speak. You don't have to listen to them. You have to listen to your king. You don't represent the world as your primary identity. You represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, I'm begging you. On Jesus' behalf, be reconciled to God. Because on your behalf, Jesus the sinless king became sin for you. He never even lied. He doesn't even know what it's like to feel guilty for lying. He doesn't know what it's like to have a lustful thought that is sin. He doesn't know what it's like to covet. He doesn't know what it's like to dishonor his parents. He doesn't know what it's like to take his father's name in vain doesn't know what it's like to be selfishly angry. And why did he live this way? Why did he die in our place so that we would have God's righteousness? I told you I'd finish the story in South Korea. The South Koreans rightfully, justly do not like and did not like the Japanese that treated them like slaves and like when they took over uh, South Korea. And yet, in 50 years after that massacre, during the massacre, there were two songs that were sung, Near my God to thee, and alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. And as the flames tore that church apart and killed all those inside, 
those around uh, that were um, the police and others of the Japanese um, army or military heard these Koreans singing these songs. Over 50 years later, in 1972, several pastors from Japan knew that there is still a justified hatred that the Koreans had for the Japanese. So they raised $25,000 in 1972 to rebuild the church. I don't know how many uh, a delegation from these Japanese churches went and brought the money and saw that the church was rebuilt close to uh, this site here. And at the dedication service, they sang, Near my God to Thee. And alas, and did my Savior bleed. There were tears from both sides of the auditorium that day. From the Japanese believers, there were tears of repentance that their nation was responsible for this tragedy and cruel murders. And then for the Koreans, there were tears of forgiveness from them. They're still, I believe, to this day on April 15th, uh, a remembering of that massacre over 100 and now 103 years later. Only Jesus can reconcile people who are once enemies to be friends. And the greatest reconciliation we know is not person to person. That's, that's great and that's helpful. That does show us a, a, the greater picture, but the greatest reality is us as trespassers being reconciled to our God. So we're praying this morning, help me to see believers as you want me to see them, a new creation in Christ. And then as an ambassador, help me to see my part in your reconciling plan. Just give your message. That's what we are as ambassadors. Come to the forgiving God through Christ the King. Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter who, how big or small your circle of influence is. Those who know you best should know that you are an ambassador with this type of message. If they don't know, then it's time to repent. It's time to embrace this identity of I'm an ambassador. And I'm just going to give God's message. You have verse 20 and 21 to know what to say. Uh, and um, invite questions from those that you are reaching out to. And your goal is that they be reconciled to God. That's God's business. Our business is just to speak. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for controlling our eyes to see other people in Christ as new creations, other believers. I pray that you'd help us to see the lost as in need of reconciliation and that it's our responsibility not to reach the world, but to reach those around us in our Jerusalem, in our Judea. I pray that you would help us to pray for those who are lost, that they would be reconciled to you. Help us to reach out to them and tell them on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then on our behalf, that Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. 
and help us to end with this wonderful message that because of Christ's payment for our sins, we can have his righteousness. A wonderful exchange. Help us to share that message. I pray for those here today who are still needing reconciled to you. I pray that they would ask us how to be reconciled to God. I pray for those here those of us here today who have been disobedient in our ambassador role. You help us to forgive us of our failings, opening our mouth and speaking, building relationships with people that are very different than us. And I pray this week that you give us opportunities, all of us who know you here, give us opportunities to tell us, tell others how, how they can be reconciled to you. We want them to be reconciled so that they can have your righteousness and they can join us in singing your praises. Our wonderful, merciful Savior. In his name we pray.